It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Jean Ross. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Jean Ross. Pastor Doug is out this evening. But how about an amazing fact? The honey guide, a bird about the size of a robin that lives in East Africa, eats all kinds of insects. But it is especially fond of honey bee grubs. But getting them is not so easy. The wild bees of Africa are dangerous and they live in secluded areas. Although the honey guide has a way of finding them, it does not dare to enter the hive unaided. Even if it could drive off the bees, its slender, delicate bill could not penetrate their nests, which are usually in hollow trees or on cliffs. So it gets a friend to help with the task. In northern Kenya, for example, the men from the Buran tribe make money selling honey. A tribesman goes out into the countryside and claps his hands, whistles in a certain way, or blows across a snail shell. If a honey-guide bird is not far off, it will generally appear very quickly and sing a special chattering call which it never otherwise uses. When sure that the man's attention has been caught, it flies off in low, swooping flight, which is easy to follow. As it flies, its tail feathers are spread wide so that the white outer feathers are clearly displayed. The man follows, whistling and shouting, to let the bird know that he is coming. As the two travel together, the bird gradually lands on lower and lower branches until its song changes to a low whistle that it repeats two or three times and then becomes quiet, and it flies over to a perch where it sits quietly. As the man approaches, he can see that the bird is sitting very close to the entrance of the bee's nest. The man carefully draws closer and sets a small fire just upwind from the nest. This stupefies the bees, and then he opens the nest and extracts the honeycombs. He hangs up part of the honeycomb for the bird. The bird flies over, eats the white bee grubs, and also some of the honeycomb wax. The honey-guide bird is one of the only animals that can digest beeswax. Now who taught the honey-guide to lead people to the bees' nests? And who gave it at the low swooping flight and the white signal feathers in its tail? Who told the bird to be quiet when it comes close to the nest so the bees will not sting it to death? And who gave the bird the ability to digest beeswax? Well, stay tuned for more as Amazing Facts brings you this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Hello, friends. Welcome back. This is Bible Answers Live, and we would love to hear from you this evening. As mentioned, Pastor Doug is out of town, and if you have a Bible-related question, the number to call is 800-463-7297. That'll get your call here on the studio on studio phones and get your call on the program this evening. Again, that's 
463-7297. We'd also like to greet our friends who are joining us on Facebook, on the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and also the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And again, if you have a Bible question, feel free to give us a call, and we'll try to take your Bible question on tonight's program. Now, we open the program by talking about a honey-guide bird, which has the strange way of working with people to lead it to its honeycomb or to the bees' hive so that it can get some honeycomb. And, of course, we can see many things in nature that reveal to us a creator, someone who designed these different animals and giving them different abilities and also uh, giving them the ability to work with other creatures. And, of course, God is the one that created all things. And uh, we have a free offer that talks about some of the marvels of creation and how they prove that uh, intelligent design was needed for these animals and some of these things in nature. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. This is our free offer for tonight's program. It's called Amazing Wonders of Creation. It's one of our sharing books. And uh, all you'll have to do to receive that is to call the number 800-835-6747. Again, that number is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. And ask for the book, Amazing Wonders of Creation. And again, if you have a a Bible question, the phone line here at the studio is 800-463-7297. I see we have a number of folks uh, waiting with their Bible question. But before we go to the phone lines, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this evening to open up your word and study together. We thank you for the technology that allows us to have this international Bible study. And Lord, as we open up your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and guide us. Be with those who are listening, wherever they might be. And lead us into a clearer understanding of what the Bible teaches. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go straight to the phone lines then. Our first caller that we have is Josiah. Josiah, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, Josiah. How old are you? Eight. Eight years old. All right. Well, thank you for calling. What is your Bible question? Um, if the devil turns good, would God let him back into heaven and forgive him? Okay. Good question, Josiah. If the devil turns good, will God let him back into heaven? Well, the Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. So uh, in order for a person to repent... And uh, in order for a person to be forgiven, they need to repent. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. But there is a point where a person can so harden his or her heart against the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit can no longer convict them of their sins. And the Bible speaks of that as being the unpardonable sin or the sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, in the case of the devil or Satan, he has reached that point where his heart has gotten so hard that he rejects the Holy Spirit and there's nothing God can do to bring him to a point of repentance. If he doesn't repent, he can't be forgiven and of course he can't enter into heaven. So is there a chance that the devil would repent? No. He's hardened his heart. He's gone past that point. But the good news is we can still repent and if we repent of our sins, God promises that he would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, Josiah, thank you for your question this evening. You know, we do have a series of studies at Amazing Facts called the Amazing Adventure Lessons. And if you've not seen any of those, um, I'd encourage you to talk to your parents. Tell them you'd like to see the Amazing Adventure series that Amazing Facts has. And I think you'll be blessed. 
Thank you for your call. Next caller that we have is uh, Duncan calling from Ontario, Canada. Duncan, welcome to the program. Yes, good evening, uh, uh, Pastor Ross. I'm a uh, first-time caller from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I listen on a regular basis via Alexa. And my question is, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, in God's new heaven and earth, will there be seasons? And I'll take my answer over the air. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Duncan. question is, in the new heavens and the new earth that God's going to create, are there going to be seasons? Well, uh, one of the things we do know for sure in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, that there will be months because we read in Revelation 22, 2, in the middle of a street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And then it says the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nation. So we know from every month there will be a new fruit on the tree of life. Uh, there's going to be 12 months, you'd assume, in the year. But are they going to be the extremes of seasons that we find now? I don't think so, at least not to the extent that we have it here. The Bible doesn't specifically say, but a lot of the uh, problems that we have in the earth is a result of the extremes of seasons, uh, whether it be deserts or places that have too much rain or flooding. It often has to do with certain seasons. We do know that in the earth made new, there will be No deserts, uh, there won't be flooding, there won't be uh, suffering or destruction in any form. So I think the climate is going to be just perfect, and it's going to be perfect year-round. New heavens, the new earth that God is making. Matter of fact, it's going to be so wonderful that the Bible says, man hasn't even been able to imagine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God is preparing for those that love him. So we're not quite sure what it's going to be like, but we know it's going to be good, and we want to be there. So, again, thank you for your call. Uh, Next caller that we have, let's see, we've got Carol listening in Michigan. Carol, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Yes, thanks for calling. (laughs) Um, Tonight was the first night that I've heard your broadcast, and I thought this would be a perfect time to ask this question. Can you tell me anything about somebody speaking in tongues? Okay, good question. Because I haven't found it in the Bible, and my friend of mine asked me, well, what's the difference between uh, parables and speaking in tongues? And I told her what parables were, uh, you know, uh, God actually telling a story of his ministries. But I couldn't answer about the uh Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. Okay, good question. Let me uh, see if I can give you a few verses on that. Uh, We do find in the Bible the gift of tongues as one of the gifts that God has given the church. But what we need to understand is the word tongue in the Bible means language. A language is something that is used to communicate thought. So uh, when we're talking about a tongue and the gift of tongues or speaking in an unknown tongue, it's referring to a language, being able to communicate or preach in a language. Now the first reference that we have of this is in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, the 120 that were uh, disciples that were gathered in the upper room. We call it the, the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. There was a large group of people that had gathered there from different regions in the Roman Empire. They had gathered in Jerusalem because of the Pentecost. And it says in verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they began to preach and teach in languages that they had not previously known. It was a supernatural gift that God had given them. 
And you look in verse 6, it says, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. That's verse 6 of Acts chapter 2. So the purpose of the gift of tongues was to communicate the gospel, to share the gospel with people so that they'd be able to understand the gospel, being able to share the word of God. Now, today, when we talk about tongues, people think of some kind of utterance in a language that nobody understands. They don't even understand that. Well, we don't find any case in, in the Bible where people were speaking in a language or speaking with different sounds or, or making a noise that was not understandable. Um, in order for somebody to preach in a language that the audience did not understand, Paul said, in that case, you need to have somebody translate for those that are there. That's what it means when it says the apostles spoke with different tongues. They had the ability to speak with these languages that they hadn't previously learned. Does that make sense, Carol? Um, yes, most of it does. Mm -hmm. A part of it, part of it I'm confused on, um, because my other question to you, which is part of this, is I had a, a, my best friend's husband died. This was years ago, back in the late 70s. And he was in the hospital, and his mother was there. And just before they pronounced him dead, she started speaking in tongues, and I couldn't understand what she was saying. It, can anybody understand when somebody speaks in tongues? It was a language I've never heard. Right. Well, it needs to be a language that someone will understand or hear, because the purpose of the gift of tongues is to communicate the gospel. And as I mentioned a little earlier, there is a common belief today and there are many sincere Christians that believe speaking in tongues or speaking in some type of language or type of, I don't know, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's, it's uh, different words or, or sounds or mutterings is somehow communicating something. But if no one can understand it, then it's, it's not a biblical tongue. It's not the gift of tongues that we read about in the Bible. That is something else. You know, Carol, we do have a book that I'll be happy to send you. It's free. All you need to ask for it is called Understanding Tongues. It goes into a lot more detail, gives you a lot more verses, and will deal with this question of why is it that in the religious world there are some who claim to speak in this tongue? What exactly is that? And what does the Bible say? Uh, to receive that, just call our resource phone line. That's 800-835-6747 and ask for the book called uh, understanding Tongues, and we'll be happy to send that to you. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. Our next caller that we have, let's see, we have David listening in New Jersey. David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, my question is, besides death 
in a marriage. What other conditions are allowed in the Bible to divorce and remarry? Okay, so the Bible is pretty clear when it comes to the subject of uh, divorce. Uh, there were people that actually asked Jesus at one point, well, can you put away your, your spouse? And Jesus said, well, in the beginning, God created them male and female, and he made marriage to be a permanent commitment between two people. In the case of death, of course, somebody is freed from that commitment, that uh, covenant that they've made. But the Bible does give one exception for that, and that is in the case of adultery. If somebody commits adultery, that's Matthew 19:9. That person then, if that brings the marriage apart, the one who is innocent is able to get a divorce and get remarried. Okay, can you quote uh, which... Uh Chapter and verse is that, so I can read it? Sure, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. It says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Matthew 19, 9. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. You know, we do have a book that um, we can send you. It's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And it deals with the subject and gives you a whole lot more Bible verses. I think you'll find that helpful. If you'd like to receive it, just call the number 800-835-6747. Ask for the book on marriage. It's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And uh, we'll send that out to you. Janice is listening from Florida. Uh, Janice, welcome to the program. Janice, you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you doing? Hi. Doing well. And your question this evening? Okay, my question was for Matthew chapter 12. Verses 31 through 32. All right, let me go ahead and read it so those who are, are listening. Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So your question is then, what is the sin that can't be forgiven? Yes, because the, the, um, they say that Blasphemy against men can be forgiven, but the one against Holy Spirit, it cannot be forgiven from this age and like from from this time or any time cannot be forgiven at all. Okay, yes. Let me see if I can share a little insight in that. The Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of our sin and our need of a Savior. We want to respond to that. Uh, we wouldn't even have an interest in spiritual things if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit to kind of draw us to a realization, lead us to a realization that we need God and we need salvation. The sin against the Holy Spirit is when someone continually rejects the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will speak to us through our conscience. When one continually rejects truth that has been revealed to him or her, and they continually do that, and they harden their heart against the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that's what leads to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or the unforgivable sin. And the reason it's unforgivable is if you've rejected the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is needed to bring you to repentance, it's impossible to come to repentance in order to be forgiven if you've rejected the Holy Spirit. So that's why it's a sin that can't be forgiven. It's because we, we have no desire to be forgiven, We've lost all interest in spiritual things. We've turned our back and walked away from God. Now, of course, we are grateful that God does forgive, and we, we can never say, oh, I think this person committed the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. They've gone too far. Only God knows the heart of a person. But it is important for us to recognize that we want to be sensitive to the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, does that help, Janice? Does it make sense? That helps. I have one more question. So when Paul turned to Saul, is that um, when he went to the evil spirit, to the witchcraft person, or is that, that would be like the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Yes, you're referring to King Saul in the Old Testament who had rejected the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had left him, and then in desperation, because he was so worried about a war that was to take place, he went to the witch of Endor and actually dabbled in the occult or spiritualism. He died the next day. So yes, he had committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. He had hardened his heart, and there was nothing that God could do for him. You know, we do have a book that uh, we'll be happy to send you, and it's talking about the, the unpardonable sin. That's what it's called. You can just call and ask for the free book on the unpardonable sin. The number is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. And ask for the book on the unpardonable sin or the sin against the Holy Spirit. And we'll be happy to send that to you. Next caller that we have is uh, Wilma. Wilma listening from California. Wilma, welcome to the program. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Thank you for calling. I'm just calling because uh, I'm just wondering about this one art, like in Revelation 18, uh-huh. 8, it says uh, like the praise will come in one day. What is that? And also in the 10th, uh, 1810, it, there's also one R. And in the 17th, it says one R. And there's also a 19th, it's one R. What are those? Uh, All right, very good. Good question. Now, just to give the context of what we're talking about, we're talking about the plagues that come in the last days against those who are uh, the enemies of God's people, those who are opposed to truth. Uh, this happens just before Jesus comes. And it says in verse 8, Revelation 18:8, Therefore her plagues, and it's talking about Babylon. Babylon is this symbolic name given to those who are opposed to God's truth and opposed to God's people in the last days. It says, therefore plagues will come in one day. Now, there are seven plagues, and in Bible prophecy, a day typically equals a year. So from this verse, uh, a number of scholars have reached the conclusion that the seven last plagues will probably fall within the space of a year. And then just a little bit further, one of the plagues is a specific judgment that comes upon uh, Babylon itself. So there are these plagues that come upon the world, but then there's even more of a specific judgment that comes upon Babylon. And that's verse 10. It says, standing at a distance for fear of a torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city. Uh, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Now, one hour in Bible prophecy is about two weeks. And the way we reach that is there's 24 hours in a day. There are 360 days in a biblical year. So you can calculate, do the math. It comes to about two weeks. So it appears that the seven last plagues fall roughly within a year. And this final destruction of Babylon happens in a fairly short period of time of about two weeks, the final judgment that comes. Does that help, Wilma? Yeah, it does. Thank you very much. All right, you're welcome. Thank you for your call. The next caller that we have is Jeremiah. Jeremiah listening from Oklahoma. Jeremiah, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Yes, thanks for calling. And your question? Uh, my question is, do we follow all Levitical laws? No, no, we don't. And let me explain. In the Old Testament, we have at least four categories of law that we find. We find the Ten Commandment law, which defines uh, what sin is. That, of course, is applicable to every nation, every person. And that's universal. That's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. We also find 
in uh, the Old Testament what we call health laws. And the health laws had to do with uh, God guiding Israel, helping them to be healthy. And the principles of those health laws, for example, clean and unclean animals, uh, certain things that you wanted to do in order to have um, hygiene, washing of your hands and food preparation, those are good principles. And yes, today they're still binding. God wants Christians to follow good health principles and to follow those health laws. In addition to the health laws, we also had the ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws had to, had a lot to do with the sanctuary, the sacrificial system, the Levitical priesthood, and certain cultural things that God wanted Israel to do, which would set them apart from the pagan nations that surrounded them. Those laws, the principles, I think, are still valuable to us today. But the actual application, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. We don't have a Levitical priesthood anymore. Jesus is a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. We, we're not a single nation any longer, but God's people are made up from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So many of those ceremonial laws, as well as the civil laws that governed the nation of Israel, that came to an end when Jesus died on the cross. So there are the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, which are not applicable to Christians today, but the health laws and the moral law, they are applicable to Christians today. Um, and can I go a little bit deeper into my question? Sure. Uh, what about the mixing of fabrics? That's not a sacrificial ceremonial, right? Yes, that's a good point. It falls into that category. And the reason for that is God wanted Israel to be distinct from the nation surrounding them. The mixing of fabrics was used by the pagans and it was used in particular by those who were involved in pagan worship. For example, the pagan priests, they would mix different types of fabric. They would also cut the corners of their beard. And God wanted to make a clear distinction between his people and those nations surrounding them and the cultures that those nations had. And that's why we find certain regulations. Um, and some of them, you might wonder, why does God not want us to mix different fabrics? Well, it had to do specifically to set Israel apart from those nations around them. Also, you know, not cutting the corners of your beard. That was something that was done also in pagan worship. And God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with that. Would that count tattoos? Yes, that's right. God says not marking your flesh. Now, that is a New Testament principle, too. Now, of course, there's going to be people saved who might have a tattoo. Uh, maybe they didn't know any different, but... Uh, as Christians, uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we want to take care of our bodies. The Bible does say we shouldn't be putting markings on our flesh or tattoos, as some Bibles might have it. So for a Christian to knowingly go out and get a tattoo, that's probably not something that would be pleasing to God. If someone, you know, becomes a Christian and they have the tattoo, there's not too much they can do about it. You know, God does forgive and we praise God for that. So thank you for your call, Jeremiah. Friends, we have uh, just a few seconds before we're going to take our mid-program break. Uh, we're not done. We've still got um, lots of Bible questions. So look forward to hearing from you. If you have a Bible question, call us after the break. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index, words of Christ in red, chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Bible Answers Live. And this is an international national Bible study. So if you have a Bible-related question, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 800-463-7297. That is the phone line here to the studio. The other number, 800-835-6747, is our resource phone line. And we'll be giving you different resources. You can call that number and we'll be happy to send it to you for free. If you have a Bible question, again, the number 800-463-7297. My name is Jean Ross. Pastor Doug is out this evening, but we are happy to take your Bible questions. We have Annette who's listening from Washington. Annette, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thanks for waiting. I just wanted to know about um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Okay, let me uh, read it for those who are uh, listening on the radio. It says, verse 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And your question on that one. Well, uh, what I wanted to know is, is, 
I know that some, you know, religions, they don't believe in eating, you know, certain things. I'm just wondering, is it kosher to eat anything that God created? All right. Well, let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Do you think it's practical or healthy that a person should eat anything that's made? Any animal? Well, it just says here everything is good and it's sanctified. So I wasn't sure if, if it was or not. Now, let me ask you, are there, some, are there some things that are not good to eat? Well, it doesn't say that in that verse. Okay. But I just practically speaking, are there poisonous things that we shouldn't eat? Uh, yeah, I'd say like snakes and stuff, yeah. Right, absolutely. Well, to answer this question, I think verse 5 is a big key. It says, For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Now, the word sanctified means have been set apart or separated. So are there certain foods that in the word of God, in the Bible, have been separated, which God has said you can eat? And are there certain foods or certain animals that God has said in the Bible you should not eat? Uh, yeah, back in Leviticus, but that's why I was confused, because I didn't know if that still applied today or if, it, if this is a new thing. I didn't know. No, you're right. Uh, the Bible does set apart certain animals, and it's called clean animals and unclean animals. And in the Old Testament, God was very clear that the unclean animals, they were mostly scavenger-type animals, were not to be eaten, but people could eat the clean animals. Well, that same principle is still applied in the New Testament. Uh, one of the um, requirements of New Testament believers was that they weren't to eat blood. And that came from the Levitical regulations about clean and unclean animals. So here, the situation that Paul is addressing when he's writing this to, to Timothy is uh, there were certain Christians in the church who were telling other Christians that on certain times of the year, or certain days of the year, they were not allowed to eat certain things. Now, what it is that they said you weren't allowed to eat were things that the Bible said you could eat. And that's why Paul says, every creature of God is good if it is sanctified by the Word. So those things that have been sanctified or set apart by the Word of God, those are acceptable, you can eat them. There were people that were trying to tell Christians not to eat those things, and that's what Paul was addressing. Oh, so he's talking about, like, the book of Leviticus, then. Yes. Those are sanctified by... Okay, I got you. That makes sense. And the principle there is, is pretty simple. If the animal has a cloven hoof, like a sheep or a cow, and it chews the cud, that is clean, you can eat that. An animal that doesn't have a cloven hoof or that doesn't chew the cud, uh, those are unclean animals, and we shouldn't be eating that. Of course, reptiles and those type of things... They're also unclean. You know, we do have a book that talks about that, and uh, we'll be happy to send this to you. Um, it's actually one of our study guides, and it's called God's Free Health Plan. And uh, we'll be happy to send this to anyone who wants to learn more. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747, and you can just ask for the Amazing Facts study guide. It's called God's Free Health Plan. Our next caller that we have is Matthew listening in Toronto, Canada. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Hi, thanks for your call. My question this evening is, why did God place Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, but at the same time, he gave them two trees to choose from, and there was no sin in the garden at time? Okay. Now, you know, God has made us, just like he made the angels, all intelligent beings, with freedom of choice. And the reason for that is a love that does not provide freedom 
is not true love. So God, being a God of love, gave Adam and Eve freedom, and that freedom allowed them to choose whether they would be loyal to God or whether they choose not to be loyal to God. Now, if God only had the tree of life in the garden, but he didn't allow the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to be in the garden, well, then God would have removed Adam and Eve's ability to choose God, to choose to love God, because they didn't have another choice. So when God gave both trees or put both trees in the garden and God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree, God was giving them a test. That God was giving them the opportunity to choose who they gain to be loyal to. Now, of course, unfortunately, you know that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and they showed loyalty rather to the devil than to God. But God in his mercy did not reject them. He provided a plan of redemption so that we have hope so that we can be saved. Had Adam and Eve been faithful to God and not given in to the devil's temptations, would have stayed away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I imagine at some point uh, that tree would have been removed because they would have had proved their faithfulness to God, and there was no need for that any longer. That would have been ideal, but you know what happened, and Adam and Eve sinned, and of course we are where we are today. But we do have hope, and that hope is in Jesus. So didn't they know that God was their creator? They did. God spoke to them and told them. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but God told them, stay away from the tree. He must have told them that there was this rebellious angel that was uh, trying to get their loyalty. And that's why the devil probably disguised himself as a talking snake to try and deceive. And he did. He deceived Eve and Eve gave the fruit to Adam. So God did warn them. God gave them the information that they needed and yet they chose to disobey, and they regretted it afterwards. No doubt about it. You know, they wish they hadn't done that. So the, the, possibility, the possibility lies in that because there was a fallen being, the possibility lies that they could have sinned them. Well, you know, God, God has given every creature, you and I, each of us, have the freedom of choice. We can choose to obey God, or we could choose to disobey. God allows us to make that choice. And we are grateful that God doesn't just give us one chance. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble. But God is merciful, and he forgives us even when we make mistakes. And that's what he did for Adam and Eve. When they sinned, God was merciful, and he planned a way of salvation and the plan of redemption that came into effect. We can praise God for the freedom and thank him for the freedom that we do have. Well, thank you, Matthew, for your call. We're going to go to our next caller here before we run out of time. Uh, let's see. We've got Olivia listening from Washington. Olivia, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Hi. And your question tonight. Well, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not kill. But it says there, Thou shalt not kill. So why did God, like, tell David to kill Goliath and tell other people to kill certain people. Ah, all right. Good question, Olivia. Now, in the commandment, it tells us that we should not kill is the King James, but if you look up the word, it means murder. So there is a difference between killing and murder. Murder is when somebody purposely takes innocent life. That would be considered murder. But in the case of David and Goliath, here you have an enemy that is threatening to destroy God's people God comes to the defense of the children of Israel, and God works in a dramatic, miraculous way 
in enabling David to kill the giant. Now, of course, David, he threw the stone, but really it was God that destroyed the giant or brought the giant down to his knees and he died. So God was very much involved in that. So there is a difference between murder and killing. Sometimes, unfortunately, somebody might be involved in an accident and accidentally hurt someone or even kill them. Well, uh, we don't consider them a murderer because they didn't want to do that. It wasn't purposeful. Uh, The taking of innocent life is murder. But sometimes God had directed individuals to do an act of judgment to destroy for the purpose of protecting and delivering his own people. And that's the case with David and Goliath. But good question, Olivia. We got Sherry listening from Montana. Sherry, welcome to the program. Um, I was wondering if you could explain the 144,000 yes. in the last day. Okay, good question. Revelation chapter 7 talks about the 144,000. It talks about 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. The order in which that's listed in Revelation chapter 7 is unique. The way the tribes are listed, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And if you look up the meaning of the names of the tribes that are listed, it gives you a description of the experience that God's people will go through in the last days. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the details of that, but really the 144,000 represent God's people in the last days who have the seal of God and who do a special work of taking the gospel to the world. They're sort of God's last day apostles in taking the gospel to the world, sort of the loud cry. Are there only going to be 144,000 people that are saved when Jesus comes? I don't think so, because Revelation chapter 7 also talks about a great multitude of people who are saved from every nation, kindred, tongue. So the 144,000 represent God's last day evangelists, so to speak, those who are taking the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I remember in Revelation, it's a symbolic book. Uh, We're not only talking about Jews making up the 144,000. The Jews or Israel in Revelation represents God's people. And if you believe in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Does that uh, make sense, Sherry? Yes, it does. You help me a lot. I highly appreciate it. All right. Um, I used to think that there was only going to be 144,000 standing on the earth. So you've clarified that greatly. All right. You're welcome. We do have a book called Who Are the 144,000? And uh, we get into the subject in more detail. And Sherry will be happy to send it to you. The number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the book called Who Are the 144,000? Our next caller that we have is Michael listening from, looks like Virginia. Michael, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you. And your question this evening. Yeah, my question is, when did Satan's probation end? When did Satan's probation end? The Bible does not specifically say, but it would appear that when he was cast out of heaven, that, you know, there was no hope of him ever returning or passing the point of repentance. Jesus said that he saw Satan falling as lightning from heaven. So I would would assume that would, would have occurred before Uh, The earth was created. Oh, okay. All right. Well, hopefully that helps, Michael. Thank you for your question. All right. Next caller that we have, looks like we got Lorinda listening from Washington. Lorinda, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, My question is, does God accept um, um, uh, cremation? 
Does God accept cremation? You're talking about in the resurrection. Can he resurrect people who are cremated? Yes. 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 The answer is yes. Absolutely. In the Bible, typically the form of taking care of the dead is burial. And we all the way back to Abraham. You have examples of God's people burying their loved ones, their family members. But there were also many other believers who were put to death. There were many believers in the dark ages who were burned at the stake, and they're going to be resurrected when Jesus comes. There were those who were lost at sea. They're going to be resurrected when Jesus comes. So, you know, really what cremation is, it's just speeding up the process. Uh, If somebody's buried, it might take a little longer for decomposition to occur. Uh, Cremation speeds it up. So is there anything wrong in a person being cremated? No. Can God still resurrect someone who's cremated? Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Deep within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes, heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning, and he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a Savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light. Seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Next caller that we have is Tara, listening from Fort Lauderdale in Florida. Tara, welcome to the program. Hello, hi. Hi, thanks for waiting. (laughs) Thanks. Um, My question is, um, before Jesus died on the cross and saved us from all our sins, was Abraham, Moses, and the rest of them in hell waiting for him? No, um, you know... Before Jesus died on the cross, those living in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ who would die for their sins. As an example of their faith, as a demonstration of their faith, they would offer a sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, we have many examples of people that were offering sacrifices. And that goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, right after Adam and Eve were sent out of the Garden of Eden and they had sons. So the sacrificial or the sacrificing of a lamb was way back, even in Old Testament times before Abraham. Sacrifices continued right up to the time of Jesus, and it was a symbol of Christ. But people were saved before Christ's death by believing in a coming Redeemer. In the New Testament, we're saved by looking back to the fact that Jesus did die for our sins, and that we are forgiven. So people before the cross and after the cross, they were all saved the same way. Everyone is saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling, Tara. Appreciate your call tonight. Um, We've got Jesse listening in Atlanta, Georgia. Jesse, welcome to the program. Oh, good evening. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. My question is, um, we're told that uh, COVID-19 is due to coronavirus that escaped from a bat. 
but I think I heard Pastor Doug say that um, coronavirus is from the devil. Can you explain that? Yes, I think we can. Uh, you know, God's plan is for life. And the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason we have sickness and suffering and death in the world today is because of sin. And we're bearing the consequences of sin. And unfortunately, living in a, a sinful world, these things happen where innocent people might get sick, uh, might even die. So it's not God that brings this on. God will allow certain things to happen. But at the end of the day, God is wanting to create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, where there's no sorrow, no suffering. But why has Jesus not come yet and created that new world? Well, the Bible says God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but the day of the Lord will come. So why has Jesus not come yet? Because he wants to give as much time as possible to try and save people. But the time will come when Jesus says, enough's enough, there's enough pain, enough sorrow, enough suffering, I'm coming, I'm going to make all things new. Does that help, JC? Yes, it does. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. Uh, we've got William listening in uh, Kentucky. William, welcome to the program. Hey. Hi, Pastor. Hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, my, past, my, my, um, my question was concerning baptism, uh, especially like the baptism of uh, young people. Um, mm -hmm. have a have a young son and, um, you know, the way this world's going. Um, I just, I'm just uh, a little bit fouled up because, um, you know, like the age of accountability and um, if he were to, if it was to come upon his heart, you know, I would be all about it. But what about the people who take it upon themselves, you know, that to baptize children, not knowing if they fully committed or understand what they're doing? Okay. Well, I think, first of all, there's there's been a misunderstanding of what baptism is. There's a lot of traditions that have kind of crept in over the years in Christianity most of it came from a misunderstanding of what baptism means. During the Dark Ages, a belief became very prominent in the established church that if you were not baptized, there was no way that you could be saved. Well, in those days, there was a high rate of death amongst children and babies. And so people started baptizing their children and even baptizing babies, thinking that if they weren't baptized, they weren't able to be saved. But baptism is really a public commitment that a person makes to Jesus, they need to be old enough to understand what they are doing. Uh, if they don't understand what they are doing, how can they make that public commitment or that decision for Christ? Baptism needs to take place when a young person is old enough to know right from wrong, where the Holy Spirit is speaking to their hearts. You know, with each child, it's a little different, but usually it's somewhere around the age of 12 to 14, maybe even a little earlier, 10. It's within that time frame. Some of the things that I look for if I'm going to be baptizing a young person is I want them to understand what it is they are doing, understand the importance of baptism. You want them to have a personal relationship with Jesus through prayer and through the reading of his word. And they need to be able to make that, that commitment saying, I, I ask Jesus to forgive me for my sins and I commit my life to him. Those are some of the important things that they need to be able to make those decisions. And then there's some other foundational Bible truths that is also important for them to understand. Yes, exactly. I agree with you 100%. And I just, I find people struggling today, you know, after they've made the commitment and then they fall back upon, you know, uh, if they've let the Lord down and then uh, what's going to happen to them, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, the good news is that God does forgive. And we have many examples of people who have already made that commitment and yet they have sinned 
or they come back to God, they are forgiven. And in the case of baptism, I know of, of uh, young people who made the decision to be baptized, but as time went on, maybe they wandered away from that commitment and even walked away from God. But that baptism was always there, and it, the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts, and they came back. So, you know, if, if a person is ready to make that decision to be baptized, I would encourage them, be baptized. Keep trusting in Jesus. If you wander away, don't give up. God doesn't give up on us. We need to go back, and he'll forgive us. Okay. Thank you very much, Pastor. All right. Thank you for your call, William. We appreciate that. Next caller that we have is Robert, listening from uh, Washington. Robert, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Ross. Hi. Thanks for calling. I got I got squeezed in, huh? Yes, we got you in. <sighs> My question is regarding Galatians 5.18. Uh, it says if we're living by the Spirit, we shouldn't obey the law. All right, well, let me read it here. It's uh, Galatians 5.18. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let me explain what he's talking about. Uh, the law that Paul is referring to here in Galatians is not the Ten Commandment law. Because if you look on in verse 19, he talks about the works of the flesh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, hatred, sorcery, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. Well, oh, where does the Bible talk about adultery being a sin? Well, it's part of the Ten Commandment law. The law that Paul's referring to were the ceremonial laws that the Jewish Christians were telling the Gentile Christians to, to obey. For example, the rite of circumcision. The Jewish believers or Christians would tell the Gentile Christians, oh, you have to be circumcised or you can't be saved. And Paul says, no, no, that law came to an end when Jesus died on the cross. But he's not talking about the Ten Commandment law because the Ten Commandment law defines what sin is. And so, yes, of course, God wants Christians to, to keep the Ten Commandments. Does that help, Robert? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. Uh, next caller that we have, we have just a few moments. We've got uh, Paula in Ohio. Paula, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for calling. Um, my question was, so I am an aspiring physician, and I've been um, like reading about vaccination. I'm not originally from the U.S., and I, I hear different um, opinions all the time, like some coming from Christians and not. And I, I, the specific vaccine in question was, I guess, MMR because the cells come from aborted fetal cells. But for me, I was just looking for practical biblical principles as to how a Christian should navigate, you know, that field of vaccination and without while avoiding extremes. Okay, good question. You know, I think there is good science behind certain vaccines, and uh, we know that it helps to uh, prevent disease. And as a Christian, I don't think we should be opposed to preventing disease. But at the same line, if a vaccine requires the death of an unborn child, well, then obviously as Christians, we would have some concerns because, you know, that would be against what the Bible says. But just in general, vaccines, I, I don't think any Christians would have a problem with that or sincere Christian. God wants us to uh, make wise choices. He wants us to be healthy. And if that involves a vaccine, I, there's no conflict from a Christian perspective as to whether or not to get that. Now, you know, in each situation, it might be a little different and each person's you know, physical ability might be different, and, and that's where we need to be led individually. But just in general, the idea of a vaccine, that's not in any way against any of the teachings of the Bible. Thank you for your call, Paula. We're just looking at the time, and friends, uh, probably we don't have enough time to take another call for this evening, but if we didn't get to your call, 
We hope you won't give up. Call us back next Sunday evening. Are we going to have another program of Bible Answers Live? I believe Pastor Doug will be joining us next week. If you have more questions or would like to learn more about what the Bible says, go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org or .com, and there you'll find the free online Bible school. And you can sign up. It goes through all 27 lessons covering a wide variety of subjects. And I think you'll be richly blessed if you take time to go through the Amazing Facts Study Guide series. And again, thank you for being a part of our program. If you'd like to help support Amazing Facts, thank you too. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.